Psalm 6. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. Well, when we put together the sermon programme for this term, uh, little did we know that as I would come to preach on Psalm 6, under the title, When I Feel Sick, that the world will be facing a global pandemic. Uh, according to the latest figures, there are over 100,000 reported cases of uh, coronavirus in over 90 countries in the world, from which 3,600 people have died. In this country, there are now 209 cases from which two people so far have died. And in Italy, um, 14 million people are effectively quarantined. And in this country, preparations are already being made for the worst case scenario, in which schools, public gatherings uh, will be shut down, possibly even our church gatherings. Coronavirus panic has caused a crash in the stock markets and the failure of a number of businesses, which shows just how fragile the world is. We think we're in control, but it's only because God is sustaining us. So what do we make of all that? Um, how does Psalm 6 help us? Well, rather than joining in the human panic, it reminds us that there is somewhere we can go in the face of the panic around us, to the person who has all the answers, who knew when the virus would start, knows when it will finish, and where will it go in between. As it says in Psalm 20, some trust in chariots and some in horses, in other words, in, in human endeavors, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. But before we come on to Psalm 6 itself, I'd just like to say a few words about this series. The series is called Prayer in Times of Trouble. And this is, in fact, what um, many of the Psalms are, prayers in times of trouble. There are different types of trouble that each Psalm might focus on. And over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at when I feel oppressed, when I feel discouraged, and when I feel afraid. There are some similarities that each of the Psalms have. They are personal. They're usually written in the first person and, and contain a direct address to, to the Lord. They contain a pe petition to the Lord for, for rescue from that particular type of trouble. They contain a description of the trouble, which is often quite emotional. Maybe sickness, it may be false accusation, it may be even armed conflict. 
They contain reasons why the psalmist thinks the petition should be heard. An appeal to the character of God. An appeal to the relationship that the psalmist has with God. And they usually end with a statement of confidence or trust in God or a promise of praise and worship. There's also a spiritual element to the psalm so that whatever the the particular trouble is that he or she is facing, it affects their relationship with God. And as the psalmist expresses their, their trouble and seeks God's help, they find themselves coming closer to God in the process. And we mustn't forget that these psalms are written at a a specific time in salvation history. But we have to read them now through the lens of Jesus because we are that side of the cross. And so what that means is, in terms of the first point, that we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. As we read this psalm here, there is a, a hesitancy we feel as a psalmist approaches God. He says in that first uh, verse, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. He knows he doesn't have a right to come to to God with his appeal or that the Lord has any obligation to hear him. Because he knows, like all of us, he is a sinner. And his sin has cut him off from God. May even be a sin that has caused his current situation. There's no, not an automatic link between individual suffering and, and sin, but God does sometimes use suffering to, to discipline us. As it says in Proverbs 3, the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son, he delights in. And also all suffering is a result of being in a fallen world. And we can't get away from that. The key thing is that although sin causes God to be angry, and that's a righteous anger at all the the behavior that fails to give him the the worship and honor that is due to him as the Almighty and the Holy God, there is still a way to God. He has made it possible for us to approach him with all of our problems, and it's Jesus, of course, who's opened up that way, who's caused the uh, curse that separated people and God to be torn down. We no longer need to approach God in fear and trepidation. We do so on the basis of the blood of Christ. We do it in confidence, but we also do it aware of our own unworthiness. Hence the words of one of the prayers of preparation, which we often say together before we take communion. Lord, we come to your table, trusting in your mercy and not in any goodness of our own. We were not worthy even to gather up the crumbs under your table. But it is your nature always to have mercy, and on that we depend. And so since the 5th century, this psalm has been used as one of the traditional penitential psalms um, during Lent that people often pray as they confess the sickness of sin. Coming to God... And asking him for mercy doesn't mean that he will give us all we need. We can approach him, and we do that freely through Jesus, but we still submit to his will. We submit to his perfect wisdom. We acknowledge our weakness, our lack of of wisdom. Because he is the only one who truly understands whose wisdom and knowledge are perfect. After all, he is the one who made us. And so we call on his mercy. 
Have mercy on me, Lord, it says in verse 2. Verse 4, turn, Lord, and deliver me. Not because I deserve it, but save me because of your unfailing love. In our times of sickness and trouble, what we most need to be reassured of is God's unfailing love. Where he feels distant to us, we want to feel close to him. We want to know that love. So as David comes to the Lord, then how does he speak to him? Well, he speaks to him with complete honesty about how he's feeling. He doesn't try and cover it up. He says it how it is. Because he knows that our pain, our suffering, and our death are in God's hands. It will take different forms, but we don't need to live very long before we will experience pain and suffering for ourselves. David is in extreme pain here. He says, have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? There's no explanation in the psalm of what type of pain David is suffering from. There's no diagnosis of a particular illness he's got, which we can then Google to find out a bit more about it. No, this psalm is about what David is feeling. And he's feeling pain. The pain is causing him to almost pass out. It's a physical pain. My bones are in agony. And it's a spiritual pain. My soul is in deep anguish. We are complex creatures, aren't we? Made up of body, mind, and spirit, which are all interlinked. And often an illness uh, that affects one will affect the others as well. And all David can say is, how long, Lord? How long? When will you bring this to an end? I can't stand it any longer. He knows that God has the power to, to bring it to an end, and so he pleads with him to do so. It's hard to be in pain yourself, isn't it? But it's also hard to watch someone else in pain, knowing you can do nothing about it. It's particularly hard when your child is, is in pain and they want you to stop it, but you, you can't. In verse 6, David knows that God is moved by human anguish and aspects of helplessness. He's a compassionate God. That's part of his nature. And so David continues, I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. David is saying, I, I know you may have a reason for inflicting this illness upon me, but physically and spiritually, I can't bear it any longer. Please, therefore, in your grace, take it away or give me more strength. Those with mental pain will tell you that one of the, the hardest forms of pain is psychological. At least with physical pain, people will show you some, some sympathy. With internal pain, they can't see it and therefore don't realize necessarily there's something wrong. And you're not probably in a position to really want to tell them about it. You may even come across as just quite normal. But at night... In the dark, when your mind is filled with various images, you feel the loneliness and the, the isolation. You toss, you turn, you, you want to go to sleep, but you know that won't bring an end to your turmoil. And all you can do is cry, as David does here. And to cry is human. God made us 
with that ability to express our sadness and our pain. Jesus showed his humanity when he wept. He wept in grief for the death of his friend Lazarus. We can weep when we experience pain and loss, but the greatest source of anguish is when we become aware of our sin and the sin of others. That's when we weep in our souls. Jesus wept in despair at the pride, the rebellion of the city of Jerusalem. He wept in the Garden of Gethsemane as the the moment drew near when he was about to take on himself the sins of the world. His sweat, we're told, was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He wept in anguish on the cross as he experienced separation from his father. And he said, blessed are those who mourn, who mourn their sin and are in anguish because of it, for they will be comforted. When Peter realized he had betrayed his Lord, he went out and he wept. But later, Jesus, in his grace, forgave him and restored him. And that pain of his guilt was taken away. He didn't need to weep anymore. David knew that his pain and suffering were in God's hands. He also knew that his life was in God's hands. And as he calls out for rescue, it's not just all about him. It's also about God's glory. Have a look at verse 5, because it says there, Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from his grave? Now, what he's not saying is when he dies, there won't be worship in heaven. Of course, there will be. But what David is saying here is the same as Paul prayed when he was in prison in his letter to the church in Philippi, he said this, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you, speaking to the church in Philippi, the Philippian believers, that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you, Again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. If we are Christians, then we believe that death has been defeated. Our life after death will be far better than anything we've experienced in this life. We're going to be with Jesus. Marjorie Chapel was looking forward to that day. She's now experiencing that in all its glory. And so the reason we pray to be saved from death is for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. It's better for our family, our friends, our church if we remain because we will be able to encourage them in their faith. And as we encourage them, they will be able to boast, as Paul says here, in Christ Jesus. And so he will be be glorified. If we just pray that God would spare our lives so we can enjoy more days on this earth, well, the danger is that we end up wasting our time. And we end up actually further possibly than we were when our illness was diagnosed. Some of you may know the story of Hezekiah in the Old Testament. He was a good and faithful king, but uh, he became ill and he prayed for healing. He prayed for longer life. And God granted him another 15 years. But in that time, with great pride, he, he showed off his wealth to the king of Babylon and was told by Isaiah the prophet that in the future, Babylon would conquer Judah would take all his treasures 
and many of his people into exile. Hezekiah was succeeded by his son Manasseh, who turned out to be one of the most evil kings of, of Judah. And you just wonder, how much would that nation have been spared had he died earlier? Our lives are in God's hands, but let's not just pray for healing for ourselves, but that we may give God the glory in our lives, that we may be an encouragement to, to others with every day of our lives. Our pain and suffering in our lives are in God's hands. And as we call out to God for help, we pray that he will provide it through his people. But sadly, that doesn't always happen. David wrote, my eyes grow weak with sorrow, verse 7. They fail because of all my foes. And the thing is, as Job found out, only God can provide the comfort and strength we truly need. If you know the story of Job, you'll know that he had everything taken away from him. His friends, his family, his belongings, his health. And when his friends hear about it, uh, we read in Job 2 that they decided, it says, to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him, because they saw how great his suffering was. They were doing what... I'm sure we would like our friends to be, just to be there for us, to acknowledge our pain, our suffering, not necessarily try and sort everything out for us, but just to show that love and concern. But in Job, after the week of silence, we read that they start to try and make sense of what happened to him. And the only explanation they can come up with is that Job must have sinned, even if he isn't aware of it. And God um, is disciplining him. Of course, that wasn't the case. And in Psalm 6, I don't think that the foes David is referring to are necessarily his enemies who have caused him harm, but those who've responded badly to his suffering. Maybe they responded in the way Job's friends did, by blaming him when he needed their encouragement. Now, we must remember when we are in pain, when we are suffering, that many people will not know how to respond. They will not know how to, to help us. And uh, we'll say something inappropriate or just um, wrong. We need to pray that if, if we're the ones suffering, we won't be offended. But it will accept that their intentions were, were good. Because it can be hard to provide comfort, can't it? You know, even if we say the right thing, we might say it at the wrong time. It doesn't mean we should distance ourselves from those who are suffering because that's the last thing they will want, to feel even more isolated but just to show we care and remind them that God cares for them. Sadly, there will be some always who who mock us, if not to our faces and behind our backs. Um, Those who will find it ridiculous that we can believe in a God. How can we believe in a God when he's allowing us to suffer in that way? And for them, it just proves that there is no God. Or maybe David's enemies had tried to make him give up his faith in God. Maybe they tried to make him just indulge himself in the pleasures of sin. But as he says, away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. David said, I don't care what you think, I don't care what you think about me. 
the only real thing that matters is that the Lord has heard my weeping. I know he's there for me. I know he's real. I know he cares for me. And he will give me comfort and strength. If we look at verse um, 8, there appears to be something then that has caused David to change his position because suddenly he's filled with confidence in the Lord. That may be because someone has reassured him about the Lord's compassion to him. You might recall the the story of Hannah, the mother of Samuel, who, who came to the temple weeping bitterly because she was unable to have children. And to the priest Eli, she said, I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli replied to her, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. And then we're told she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. A reminder of just how important our ministry is to one another. That as we pray for our brothers and sisters who are sick or in anguish, as we remind them of God's grace and comfort, it can bring about that great change in them. Because in verses 8 onwards, we see a different man here who now has great confidence in God. Somebody who trusts that God will hear his prayers. Verse 8 says, The Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. David is confident that God understands his pain and has heard his cry for mercy. And that he will answer it. And so he speaks of it as if it has already been answered. He doesn't say how God will answer his prayer. But he expresses his trust that God will answer in a way that is best for him. I wonder what you're calling out to God for at the moment. Maybe for you, it is a physical illness. Maybe you're not in pain right now, but you are aware that your body is fragile. You live in worry that God could call you home at any moment. When you wake up each day and you're you're healthy, well, thank God. You know, ask him to, to give you the strength to live that day for his glory. And if your health is not in such a precarious situation, still live in that way anyway, because God could still call any one of us at any time. How do we pray for the coronavirus? Although we believe in, in God's sovereign power, we, we shouldn't take a fatalistic attitude. God works through the prayers of his people. So let's pray that God will stop its spread. Let's pray for those who've contracted the virus that he would make them well. Let's pray for the families of those who have lost loved ones to the illness that he would give them comfort and strength. Let's pray for those who are anxious that God would remove those worries. And let's pray that his name would be glorified as people turn to him. Let's pray that we would trust that he's in control. And let's pray for others who do not yet know God, that they would see their human frailty, that they would cry out to God for mercy, that they would turn in repentance and faith. Jesus said, he said this, he said, those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, and you could 
substitute for, for that, those 3,600 who died when the coronavirus fell on them. He says, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But then he makes it personal. But unless you, you repent, you too will all perish. Psalm 6 finishes, all my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. As we looked at last Sunday morning, we are called to love our enemies, to pray for them. And that means praying for their conversion, that they too would glorify God. We pray that that shame and anguish that they experience will be a recognition of their sin and a coming back to the Lord. That they would pray for the Lord to take it away. Because we don't want anyone to come to Judgment Day without their sin and their shame having been taken away. So as we come to a close, we can approach God's throne of grace with great boldness because of his unfailing love, which he has showed us in the death of Jesus in our place. We acknowledge that our pain, our suffering, ultimately our lives are in God's hands. That is the best place, because in Jesus, God has conquered death, and we no longer need to fear it. And only God can provide the true comfort we need. Even if others fail us, God is faithful. He knows us, his compassion on us, and he will use it for our good. So we are encouraged to pray, trusting that God will hear our prayers, trusting that uh, he will accept them as we pray in the name of Jesus. And we're going to do that now. We're going to have a time of prayer. And uh, the group are going to play some music um, uh, quietly. If you would like someone to pray for you, there will be a chance to go to somebody at the back. Um, John, Wellesley, Liz will be be at the back. Um, uh, Please go to them with whatever your, your concern is you'd like to pray for. Um, if not, you just please remain seated where you are and pray quietly on your own if you want or pray with the person next to you. Um, maybe you haven't got many worries at this time. There are a lot of people who have, say, so a lot of people to pray for. So pray for them if you don't feel able to pray for yourself at this time. So we'll have a, a time of, uh, of prayer and then after a while the group will lead us in our final song. Let's go.